Ladies and gentlemen, this is Book Music, where each episode we talk about a specific book on music. It could be written by a musician, it could be music history, or just even a fictional character who happens to be a musician or a composer. This is Tosh. And I'm Kim Lake. And today we're going to discuss Judy at Carnegie Hall by Manuel Betancourt. Am I pronouncing his name correctly, you think? Uh, I think that's pretty close. Betancourt. It's probably Man- <laughs> Manuel, not Manuel. I think oh, Manuel. 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 See, already I'm blowing it. That's <laughs> okay, Tosh. <laughs> uh, we'll forgive you because we're going to say nothing but good things about the book. So. Yes. We both <laughs> like this book. Well, I like this book a lot. Yeah, I did too. It was very interesting. And, um, you know, I didn't, I, I knew a fair amount about her. I I did go through a phase as, I guess, a tween teen where I was really into her. Well, wait, first, wait, first, first, first. We have to, I mean, people are hearing this are saying, Judy at Carnegie Hall. Oh, this is true. Everybody know who, they, everybody has their own Judy, perhaps. Perhaps. So yeah, we have to be very specific fine. here. <laughs> Judy at Carnegie Hall is Judy Garland. Yes, we shouldn't be presumptuous. It's Judy Garland, and Judy Garland in 1961 released a double, which is rare at that time in 61, a double live album that took place at Carnegie Hall. And I believe the date of the concert was April 23rd at 8.30 p.m. <laughs> you know, most live albums are made from various shows and they put together, you know, like bits and pieces. Yeah, like yeah they get the best from a couple of different nights of recordings. Uh-uh, not here. This is Judy yeah. Garland, live at Carnegie Hall, Warts April 23rd, <laughs> and she performed at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Wow. I didn't know the time. It was very specific, Tosh. And this, is the, and this album captures Judy Garland at her most iconic best and most, what, what period of time is this in Judy Garland's life? Uh, this is, I, think she's, I think she's like, like 39. It's 1961. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this is, she's sort of past her film years. Uh-huh. And she is just starting to tour. And um, I think she really sort of comes into her own, really. This is what she does best is, you know, get out there and give the folks a show. She's a song and dance woman. You know, that's she, she grew up with vaudeville parents. And um, I think that's really what she excelled at. And um, it was a real high point for her. And and it, it goes down as, you know, one of the best nights in show business ever. It's an iconic evening. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, I, I looked at her song list. Uh-huh. And not only like famous songs that she's famous for, like, you know, um, The Rainbow, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but also, it pretty much is sort of like the ultimate American songbook oh yeah yeah i mean it's, it's not like one aspect it's like it's like a full picture of american songbook and it's aesthetic in one performance right i mean it has, it has a, it's not a minimal concert it's a maximum concert definitely it was over two hours long um yeah it's pretty amazing 25 songs and it's the ultimate american songbook for sure you know gershwin and arlen and Porter, right? There's some Cole Porter. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's all the highlights of, of the best. Of yeah. The songbook. And this is during, was, was 
Judy Garland's health in in order at this time, or or were there problems? I don't know. Um, I'm, my understanding is she uh, maybe about a year or so before this concert, she was in the hospital, and and you know they had said, oh, she's never going to perform again, and she was on her last legs, and somehow she miraculously came back. And she had been touring for a while. She did some shows uh, in Europe and England, and and then she came back and was doing shows in the states. So she was fairly healthy at the time. Yeah. So she had to work very hard for this particular show, not because it's Carnegie Hall, but she did a series of concerts beforehand. Yeah. It was like part of a tour yeah. she was doing. I'm sure, that was exhausting physically. Yeah. Uh, and um, what's interesting about the book, I mean, what do you always think, you know, when you think of Judy Garland, you think of Judy Garland, singer, and then the second thing you think about her, at least for me, is that she has a large gay following. Right. Right. Well, and I also just think of her tragic life. I mean, she's sort of the epitome of the tragic Hollywood, classic Hollywood movie star. You know, she had the difficult childhood, you know, and they were constantly berating her. She had drug problems from childhood on, you know, suicide attempts, failed marriages, five. She had five marriages, you know, and the only one that didn't fail was the last one because she died. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. you know, she's, <laughs> she's kind of the classic of the, the tragic Hollywood story, um, uh -huh. you know, so I think of that, too. But uh, he does get into the her gay following a lot in the book, which is. I thought was super interesting, you know, it's, uh, he gets into, you know, why she was so popular with the gay community. And um, I was also really interested about, uh, he gets into the fact that, you know, um, more recently there's been some backlash against that and, you know, how um, younger uh, gay men don't like that association and, uh, you know, find it mm -hmm. too much of a cliche, which I understand, you know, but at the same time, I feel like, well, if people like her, they like her, you know, it's, it's always problematic when any group is sort of treated as a monolith, you know, it's so when we're talking about the cliche, we're talking about sort of the tragic um, drug addict, family problem, mm -hmm. personality who's trying to overcome her, not her faults, but her her world in a sense. Mm -hmm. And she's iconic for that reason or is there or, or besides her you know being very very talented of course mm -hmm. um what is it that makes her in that sort of iconic you know that put her in that framework i mean why is there like a generational difference in in the gay audience who who see her in a different way if they do uh i think it has more to do with they just don't like being identified in that monolithic way of you know well mm -hmm. if i'm gay i have to be a judy garland fan a friend right. of um, you know, people always push back at the previous, right. you know, uh, group, you know, the previous generation sort of rules of, of belonging to a group, you know, which are always ridiculous to begin with. But, and mm -hmm. I think most people in those groups don't really see them that way anyway. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, they just don't like that cliche of, you know, this certain kind of gay man who, you know, goes to these concerts. And so I get that. But at the same time, I think there's plenty of young gay men who do still like Garland. I think that her uh, legacy is still pretty strong. Um, I mean, you know, we just had that Renee Zellweger picture come out. You know, I think she's mm -hmm. still very well known. I don't think she's dropped from the scenes yet. Well, she's not boring, that's for sure. 
Well, no, I mean, she's definitely <laughs> endlessly fascinating. And I think, you know, I think everybody uh, relates to her to a certain degree. I think part of her skill was that, you know, she had this, she had such a neediness, you know, to be loved by her audience. Um, and, you know, she was always had this sort of misfit quality to her, you know, uh, she was always, you know, told that she was too fat, she wasn't pretty enough, you know, she needed mm -hmm. to fix her teeth. Um, she, she was always berated by her family in the movie studio. And, um, you know, and yet she still, you know, kind of overcame all these things. So, you know, I think people uh, really relate to that misfit quality, you know, all of us that go through times in our life where we just struggle to fit in. And, and yet she triumphs, you know, she keeps, you know, she goes down and then she triumphs and she goes down and she picks herself up again, you know, so I think people love that story, you know, that's always a, a story that people can relate to and, and they find it. You know. Yeah, and, and oddly enough, this is not just an album, though. I mean, this is not just a live album. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's a document, I presume, of a particular you know show. Uh -huh. As I mentioned before, you, most live albums are a series of shows recorded, and they sort of mash it in together as you know, for right. one live album. But this is actually a very specific place, New York, Manhattan, uh, Carnegie Hall, and it's very you know I, I always you know, I was always aware of this album, but I haven't heard it till very recently because I read the book, and um, I I, don't know, I was very aware of the connection with her and the gay community mm -hmm. uh, at the time. And um, I just, and I understand, sort of, I sort of got the idea this album was really important. None of my world is really important for my world, right. but it has, it had an incredible meaning for others. Yeah. I can't think of another record that's so connected to a community as um, Judy at Carnegie Hall. I mean, you know, there's like Sgt. Pepper, the Beatles, which, you know, has masses of millions of all sorts of people, right? But you know, and there's specific Bob Dylan record that's you know, you know, right on the track is really good for guys who are going for divorces, you know, <laughs> <laughs> separations, and and they're looking for a savior. They're looking for somebody to look up to who express their right. their right. internal pain for the rest of their lives. Right. right. But Judy is something actually really more more than that. You know, the yeah. Judy um, at Carnegie Hall is more prominent than any Bob Dylan or Beatles album to me. And I'm not saying this because yeah. I love her work. I'm talking about this is something more here. Hmm. This is more than record or more of a music thing. It's more of a, a monument to um, to our era, to a time, to a relationship between the artist and the audience. Right. right. And, you know, there's people who are big fans of, you know, I, I, you know, there's people fans of a lot of stuff, Devo, Beatle, whatever. Uh, or fanatical fans about that band or artist. But Judy Garland has a strong following, of course, but beyond that, this one album is seems to be the gateway or the entrance way to to a world of sort. Right. And I don't know if I'm not sure if it's like it's a gay world or a gay lesbian world, but it's definitely uh, opening of some sort, this record. It's more than just music or an album or C D or whatever. It's it, it's 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 even more than a work of art. It's sort of a uh, I don't know. It's like a Mona Lisa, maybe. Maybe if people look at it and they look at it and they pick up things from it on a personal level. Right. Well, I, I don't think, know. You know. There's there's this element of it. You know, it was her ultimate triumph. So people really like that. Um, 
It was interesting to read because he does spend a good chunk of the end of the book talking about Rufus Wainwright and how he replicated the concert at Carnegie Hall, song for song. I, I heard that this, uh, about half an hour before doing the show. Oh, well, you couldn't have possibly listened to the whole thing. <laughs> but, um, you I know, skipped. he talked about, you skipped it, yeah. <laughs> he talked about how Rufus said he listened to the Judy album uh, after 9 11, and it was the only thing that made him feel good, you know. And uh -huh. um, so clearly, it really uh, strikes people in a certain way. It's a very powerful album in, in some way. Um, and I think it's just, it's a lot of things. I think, you know, it's it, because it was a high point of her life. Um, because it was all these classic songs that we all love. Um, yeah. You know, I think uh, the fact that it was recorded live, it includes all of her flubs when she forgets lyrics, when she misses a note, um, that sort of almost endears us to it even more. You know, uh, the audience screamed when she lost the note at, you know, at the end of one song, they were just applauding, right. you know, because um, they just love her so much. And, and, you know, she's she's so human, but at the same time, she's also this, you know, incredibly talented, triumphant person who can accomplish these amazing things that, you know, most of us will never be able to accomplish. <laughs> um, but yet we relate to her despite that. You know, I think she had a really unique talent for that. And that's another thing about it, her ability to show her vulnerability and to make mm -hmm. mistakes and putting those mistakes out there. Yeah. As I mentioned yeah, before, a live album do not record mistakes right i mean last you know 50 years it's basically either best performances from a tour or if even if it is one place the band sometimes go back into the studio and re-record yeah. you yeah. know um re-record their guitar parts or whatever the vocals yeah i think the rolling stones did that for um gay or yaya's out i think yeah i think a lot of bands have done that i think that's but judy garland did not do that for us i know it's basically you know like the stones or anybody else will take the mistakes away if they forget the lyrics they'll overdub it or yeah. or not do that song or or cut it out but yeah. judy garland almost emphasizes the fact that she's this sort of vulnerable figure on the stage yeah yeah and and i think the audience loves her all the more for it i mean i think it's a smart move to us you know in a way because you know, I mean, there's studio albums. That's where the perfection is. When you go to a live show, mm -hmm. part of it is that it's live, that it isn't perfect. You know, there's an energy to that that's completely different. And I think and, maybe that's her genius, actually, in this album, is that she is willing to do a real live album with a real live performance. Yeah, she maintains that energy. You know, I mean, it's, I think, listening to the album is as close as you're going to get to actually being at the show. I mean, it's... Yes. Um, it's it's hard to get that kind of live energy. Um, well, that's another that's an interesting aspect because, as a listener, you, you know, I mean, presumably you're always in the audience as a listener, but sometimes you're on the stage with the performer. Uh -huh. But this particular album, you do very feel much like you're in the audience. Yeah, yeah. There's an intimacy to it for sure, and I think a lot of it has to do with now. Apparently, I guess there's been multiple issues of this album. It's never been out of print, but I think when. Uh, CD technology came along, they had the length to include all the dialogue, which I don't think was on the original album. Mm -hmm. So what I listened to was, you know, the more recent uh, one with all the dialogue, you know, and she tells all these very sort of self-disparaging stories that are hysterical and, and, you know, she just endears herself even more, you know, talking mm -hmm. about how, 
you know, her hairstyle is falling apart and people are trying to, you know, make her over so that she doesn't look like Judy Garland and, and how, you know, a reporter, you know, uh, finagled her way into an interview and was very nice to her, but then uh, did a, you know, a review saying how fat she was, you know, and she tells right. these stories that are, you know, and then the audience eats it up. They love it because, you know, everybody, you know, you can, um, you f my feeling is whenever somebody is like that, I feel like, okay, you know, they, they have a realistic view of who they are. They can, they're secure enough to make fun of themselves. Like, I much prefer that to somebody who pretends to be something that they're not, you know? Right. So Judy Garland had the sort of the insight to present a, um, her real self. Right. Or what she, she sees is, or what she sees is the real self to an audience on, right. on the record. Right. And that's, I mean, kind of, it, that's a rarity. It is a rarity. And I do think it's interesting because at the same time, it is still a performance. She is ultimately a performer. She's the ultimate performer. Mm -hmm. you know? um, I think she's very aware of what she's doing. And so I think it's super interesting that, you know, she is able to affect that authenticity. Um, but, you know, she really is performing. She's performed her whole life. You know, she started performing at two years old. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's that's really part of, I think, her unique talent. And this album, is, in a way, is like her memoir. Mm -hmm. It's like an oral memoir. Cause it's all songs she did as a child and, you know, right. Right. Very the Vaz, and yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 I know. So she's very aware of making this show into a, um, uh, of course, a personal statement, but also a, a how she wants to present herself. That's what's another thing that's really interesting about this, um, well, the book as well, but the, but her her project is that it's sort of the ultimate, it really is sort of the last thing to say about one's career, mm -hmm. you know, at, at that point in time. Right. And Judy Garland really didn't go beyond Judy at Carnegie Hall, unless I'm mistaken. I mean, she never made a, a great film afterwards or... No, I think that was definitely the height of her career for sure. I mean, I think she kept touring uh, yeah. for the next several years, but um, yeah, I don't think she did anything that was, you know, higher than this. This was definitely one of the highlights of her career. Um, I, didn't, I think she may have made another film or two after this, but nothing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, particularly memorable. I think the last film that really uh, sort of a high mark was uh, A Star is Born, which I rewatched the other night, which is quite good. Yeah, I saw it years ago, and I, rem I remember liking it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many versions of that film, but I think that's one of the better ones. If not the <laughs> it's like four or five, right? Four, four. Right, yeah, yeah. I think there's four, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Garland and James Mason, that's a good combo. Yes, two failures. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love James Mason. He's one of my favorites. He could he makes spelling into a fine art. Oh, I know. Craft. And he was the uh, substance abuser in the film. Yes. The I'm sure. I'm sure there must have been a lot of interesting tells from the filming of that movie. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, apparently, I was you know reading up on her a lot, and um, I. And I watched an interesting uh, documentary on her uh, called Sid and Judy, which I would keep wanting to call Sid and Nancy. I, I'm sure that they must have named that to uh, appeal to the punk crowd. Because <laughs> <laughs> why would they put Sid's name first? I'm sure only the really hardcore fans know who Sid left her husband at the time was. Uh -huh. but <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was an interesting documentary. It's on Showtime for anybody that wants to try to seek it out. 
Um, but yeah, it was interesting how they discussed that film and and how you know she would often show up late on set, and I mean, there were a lot of problems. She had she definitely had problems uh, working in the industry for sure. She wasn't the easiest person to work. No, with. the writer Manuel Manuel Betancourt. Manuel. 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 I think Manuel. it's Manuel. <laughs> Manuel Betancourt. Um, I don't. I don't know of him before this book. No, I don't know, um, but I think he's. Uh, his bio said he's written extensively for various magazines, and newspapers, I believe. He has a PhD in English literature, mm-hmm. and it looked like he wrote stuff for New York Times, Film Quarterly, Esquire. You never know anything about music. He's not really a music writer, but yet this book is very is a really good music book. Yeah. No, I think he does a nice job. It's. Uh, he really explores the history of the album and he gets into the nitty gritty of all the songs. And he talks a lot about, you know, her relationship with the gay community, which was really, really fascinating. Um, and he does a big chunk on the Rufus album, which I'm a yeah. huge Rufus Wainwright fan. And I, knew, so I, I know you are. Show. I remember thinking of going, cause I was living in, in New York at the time. And I remember thinking of going, I don't remember why I did. What stopped you? Uh, maybe I couldn't afford the tickets. I can't recall now. But um, I've seen Rufus quite a few times. And uh, it's funny, I saw him once at the Knitting Factory performing with his mother. And he did Over the Rainbow. And mm-hmm. he tells he tells the story, um, similar to the story he tells on the recording, about how you know he would always be brought out as a child to perform this at various family gatherings. He was, you know, the unpaid entertainment. <laughs> and, uh. and it was really interesting to watch his mother's response as he was telling this story because she was just kind of sitting there not even paying attention. And right. he's looking at her, like rolling his eyes, like, see? Like, see, it was the dynamic. It was really, really interesting because obviously Rufus grew up in a semi-similar situation to Judy, a very showbiz family. Yeah. His mother, Kate McGarrigal, um, you know, the McGarrigal sisters. And and uh, his father's Loudon Wainwright. So, you know, he grew up very young performing and, you know, looking for that attention and that love. Um, so I think it's uh, interesting that he gravitated toward this. And, um, and and also he's from a family that's uh, very talented. I mean, London, yes, London yes. Wainwright's a very good songwriter and uh, oh, yeah, a yeah, figure. No. Strong, yeah, yeah. strong personalities. Yeah. In that family dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely a very interesting family for sure. But uh, yeah, Rufus is great. Any time I've seen him live, he's always been fantastic. And he does, you know, he does a lot of shtick between his songs, just like Judy. He always tells Uh all these little amusing stories. And uh, so it wasn't a big stretch for him. Although I did think it was interesting that he didn't um, try to sing the songs the way Judy does. He did them very much in his own style. I noticed that. Yeah, he he didn't try to replicate them. Although he did do some funny things where he uh, he obviously very purposely flubs the lyrics on the same song where she forgot the lyrics. Yeah, you know, singing and she's like, I forget the lyrics, and then he did the exact same thing. And he lost the note, the one part where she really loses the high note at the end of one of the songs, and he did that too, which was pretty funny. <laughs> so Tim, okay, Tim doing the album this is interesting. It's not him just doing a set of songs. I mean, he does a song. It's he did the concert. As exact as much as possible, even the yeah, yeah, song for song arrangements were very similar. The only things he really varied on is he sang them in his own style. I and mean, mm-hmm. I guess you know he probably can't replicate Judy, and I think it's good that he didn't, you know, because what's the point in that, you know? But he did um, go out of the way to to um, do the album. Yeah, in a very um, 
conceptual way. I guess. I'm trying to think of a better word, but it's very conceptual. Yeah. It's not him that's, you know, okay, we're going to do the album from beginning to end. It had sort of a more of a, a more intellectual process in making this record, I think, for him. Yeah, yeah. Well, clearly it's an important album for him, and, and uh, he saw some value, something that he thought he could bring to it. And I think he did. I, I, I think it was successful. I like it a lot. Uh, apparently it didn't sell all that well, but um, I enjoy it. I, I, I Personally, I actually like the Rufus one better. <laughs> I just like his voice better. Do you? Uh, yeah, I, I like I like the, I like Judy. Like Judy's better. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a big fan of, of Rufus's voice. I have a problem with it. Uh, um, uh, I have a problem with it. He doesn't have a problem. <laughs> well, let's hope not. Yeah, and, and rightfully so. He, he does not have a problem. But there's something about his voice that I find very uh, one-dimensional for me. Hmm. There's a range that's uh, that's very. Um, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't bring character for me. But this yeah, is more. This is more my thing. That. Yeah, or that he's sort of whiny sounding. Uh, I don't want to use that word, but you <laughs> use it. What, what, what did you say again? I didn't hear it. You said you it, what? What was that term you said? Uh, I'm not going to repeat it. It starts a W. I know it starts a W. I forgot what you said. Yeah, I used to, I had a job where we had a, a communal stereo system. Whenever I put Rufus on, people would get pretty mad at me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh no, not that whiny guy again. Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you. I was waiting for you to say that again. <laughs> I love Rufus. But uh, Judy Garland, had, for me, um, can convey a drama of a song, and she doesn't really, to me, doesn't overdo it. It's sort of um, she really conveys her personality yeah. and her fragileness yeah. into into her singing and. Um, and I guess that's one reason why she has such a large um, or dedicated, you know, fan base. Yeah, you know, she's definitely performing. She's not just singing; she is performing in every sense of the word. Um, I think she definitely brings her acting skills. And um, you know, he talks a, a bit about how you know she would go and sit on the edge of the stage. You know, she she knows what exactly what she's doing. You know, she knows how yeah. to bring that intimacy. She knows how to pull her crowd in. Yeah, I mean, she was very savvy in that sense. Yes. But at the same time, she always felt authentic. It never felt like a, a put on, you know? No, and and listening to this album, I don't feel that way at all. Even no. after so many decades of hearing about this record and, you know, and, you know, I'm hearing you know, all the cliche aspect of it and all, everything that's special about it or not special. When I listen to it, I feel like I'm listening to somebody who's really giving her, her all. But also, um, it's a very unique. It's a very, very unique album. I'm not a Judy Garland fan by any by any means, right. but I will buy this record. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find a vinyl copy of this record and uh, and it's enjoy iconic. it at home, huh? It's an iconic record, and uh, it is, and it's an important record. I mean, it's a very, very, very important album. Yeah, maybe not important album to you. I'm pointing to the audience or to me, for an audience. It, it it does definitely connect, and it connects yeah. in a very very meaningful way, and that's yeah. something I can never ever put down. I mean, I can't put down that right. connection. That that um, um, you know, I mean, if somebody says to me, "This is the greatest album ever made," I would definitely not disagree with that. Yeah. If somebody said, if somebody said to me, if somebody went up to me and said, "This is the worst record I've ever heard," 
I would strongly disagree with that. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's 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 so out there and such a prominent, important album. Yeah. I can't, you know, I can't even criticize it really because it's like it's very heartfelt. It's very well, you know, the music is it's it's classic American songwriting. Right. And you have an artist who's um, is not going to mess up on that. You can trust her, right. even though she does mess up on it technically. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it, it's not, you know, it's she's not going to make a bad record. In a way, it's like Sinatra, um, totally different type of an artist than Judy Garland. But you know, there's no, there's really no such thing as a bad Sinatra record when you right. get down to it. It's, it's true, and uh, the album's never been out of print, and it was on the Billboard charts for over seventy weeks, won four Grammy awards, including Album of the Year. Um, so yeah, it's pretty impressive. And unusual for an album at the time to be released as a double album. Yeah, yeah, he talks about that, um, which was interesting because I, I hadn't thought about that aspect of it before I read the book. It was also the first uh, live album to win a Grammy, although it was funny because uh, he talks about how it was the first uh, live album to win a Grammy and the first uh, female artist to win album of the year. And so then I was kind of curious. I was surprised. Uh, Less so by the live thing, because I just figured, well, maybe the technology wasn't around to get a good live recording before then. But mm. I was surprised about being the first female artist because, I mean, I thought, gee, like Ella Fitzgerald or Billie Holiday. But then I went and checked on the Grammys, and this was only the fourth year that the Grammy Awards were given. So oh, really? Okay. <laughs> it wasn't quite as dramatic as it really sounds. But um <laughs> But still, uh, nice to be the first, even if it's still a, a new uh, kind of award. <laughs> Definitely a significant album. And this book is published by 33 and a third. Bloomsbury. A, yes. a Bloomsbury Academic Press. And uh, 33 and a third always focus on one album and one author, talking about that one album. And we actually, on this show, we do a lot. We, we have done quite a few of yeah, these. Yeah, we books. have done. Well, we love um, these. Three because three. they're good and they're very interesting. Most yeah, it's always a different writer, mm -hmm. um, and they have a really diverse selection of books uh, that cover a wide range of music. So, uh, and you know what I recommend? I would re I recommend to a, to a reader or, or a music lover, um, don't buy this book only because you like that particular album. You can, but I think you get more out of it if you just out of curiosity you just pick up on this book. Yeah, I mean, you, you and like I weren't Judy fans. Really. No, I'm not at all. And I yeah. find and my favorite three, three and third books are usually books of, about albums I either don't know about or I really don't have emotional attachment to it. Uh -huh. So I, I, I'm sure I enjoy reading, you know, a, a, a writer writing about something that I don't really care about even. But I all of a sudden I'm sort of conveyed to listen to the record because of the writer's skills and conveying interest in the subject matter right. and uh, Bettencourt uh, does that I think quite well in Judy at Carnegie Hall he brought this album to me uh, which I've always heard about but he, 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 he made me want to listen to it and now I want to buy the record yeah and um, it's interesting um, and that's why the series is interesting that's what that's right. what he did to me it's not like you know, reading about my favorite band's, you know, album, but which is going to be good. It's good. But what you don't know about is kind of more interesting in the series. Yeah. Yeah. I like the ones where um, they definitely bring a different spin to the album. Um, 
and you know the best ones um, really convey the passion that the person has for the album um, when you finish reading a book if you don't want to listen to the album then that's a problem you should yep. want to listen to the album the second you finish reading the book yeah. which most do there's a few that i've read that i've been a little disappointed with but the vast majority of them when i'm done the first thing i want to do is go listen to the record and so that's a lot of fun i totally agree with you that's so true <laughs> so we highly recommend this book mm -hmm. uh, whether you're a judy fan or not it's definitely a really interesting look at uh, a pop culture uh high water mark and uh definitely puts it in its uh sort of cultural context so definitely absolutely yeah. And again, you don't have to be into Judy Garland to enjoy this book. It really yeah. is about the culture around Judy Garland as well as about Judy Garland. Yes. And that's, that's it's very it's fascinating. Yes. Highly recommended. So we have a really intense book for our next uh, podcast. More intense than Judy Garland? I don't know. It's pretty close. <laughs> it's pretty close. So we are going to be reading Wagnerism, Art and Politics in the Shadow of Music by Alex Ross. Alex Ross is a renowned music writer. Um, and we both just uh, barely started this book and it's already pretty intense. So he wrote, um, he wrote a book called The Rest is Noise. Yes. Listening to the 20th Century. Yes. Which is quite a remarkable book in itself. Right. And so far, Wagnerism a composer that I like to hum to, like hum with, and where I'm taking a bath. Bath. <laughs> I would not think I'll read a whole book about Wagner, a 700, over 700 pages. And yeah. so far, we're both like on page 20 something, and it's totally yeah. fascinating. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, no, when I saw that he had written the book, I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. Yes. Um, I knew he was going to definitely have some interesting perspectives on this. I mean, Wagner is definitely a very fascinating character. So, so Wagner fans, read the Judy Garland book. Judy there you go. Exactly. And Judy fans, <laughs> read the Wagner book. <laughs> There's a you connection there. Your, yes, you got to push your limits for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So uh, definitely, thanks for listening. And definitely follow us on, on all our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we will have a playlist for this uh, podcast. And we have playlists for all of our previous podcasts archived. And you can find links to everything on our website at bookmusic.com. B-O-O-K-M-U-S-I-K.com. So thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.